Welcome to Rhythms of Humanity, the podcast that invites you to uncover the sacred within the mundane and discover the extraordinary in the everyday. I'm John McClung, and I'll be leading this exploration into the rituals that shape our existence and the faith that infuses meaning into our journey. This week, we're exploring Christian nationalism, an ideology that combines Christian beliefs and national identity, asserting that a particular nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. This ideology often emphasizes the idea that a nation's character and policies should reflect Christian values and beliefs often to the exclusion or detriment of other religions, beliefs, or principles. My name is Terry Kylo. I'm a Lutheran pastor. I'm the executive director of Pass to Understanding. We work to counter uh, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-Indigenous bigotry, and we also work with youth now, as well as um, have a TV program that we run every week on MeTV on Sunday mornings. <laughs> And then, uh, and then we also do a lot of work to, to uh, help strengthen democracy. Christian nationalism is really uh, a subset of a larger dynamic that I have named exclusive in-grouping. I came up with the term exclusive in-grouping to, to kind of help people have a more diagnostic term uh, in a way. And it essentially is the claim that one religion and one group are superior to other groups and that therefore should have higher status in society, should be the ones running society, and should be first in line for the benefits of society. And so it really is a kind of claim to, uh, to superiority and to higher status. They're building on a really powerful uh, a historical process which I believe is a distortion of the Christian message and is contrary, in fact, to what Jesus was doing. About a third of Americans, uh, according to PRRI, are Christian nationalists, and most of those are white evangelicals. But it would be important to say that there are many Lutherans and other mainline people that have also voted along a white nationalist line. We have a whole momentum, kind of a glacial history, a kind of a tidal wave of exclusive in-grouping and dehumanization of other groups, of sort of a of an unspoken Christian nationalism uh, throughout much of our hymnody, our songs, our liturgies, the way we talk about gospel texts. And no one part of it is determinative, but it's all powerful together. And so we have to recognize that there's a lot of work to do to counter this right now. And it's, it's incredibly complex. Their messaging is easy. Our messaging is hard. And therefore, we have to do our work. Christian nationalism creates social and political polarization, fostering an us-first-them mentality. Today, we see Christian nationalism being used to dehumanize the people that Jesus showed a profound commitment to caring for, the most vulnerable people in our society. So dehumanization functions basically like this. It, it, it says that something you love is, is being threatened by another group. Something you love is being threatened by another group. That other group, they're not really human. They're kind of like insects or animals. They bring disease. 
and they're coming to get you. They're a threat to your community and to your children and to you and to the vulnerable in your community. And what that does is that creates a permission structure for violence against members of that group. And so there's a lot of problems with that. And my, my biggest concern, John, is that people uh, in moderate to progressive churches are asleep at the freaking wheel. We are not responding to this in public, that we pray about it, we worry about it, we fret about it, we chew our nails about it, but we've got to be out there and we've got to do so with great wisdom and with, uh, with a lot of, of guts and grit and determination right now. And I don't always see that happening. This conversation with Terry is reminding me that we need to be actively involved if we want a society where diversity is celebrated and rights are protected without favoritism towards any particular religious group. Luckily, we have Jesus to look to as an example. So Jesus was a monotheist first, right? Um, He believed that there was one creator for all the families of the world. And so he didn't see the Romans as as an eternal enemy. He could easily have started a stump speech with, the Romans are terrible, let's go get them. He didn't do that. Um, he, he, in fact, tried to use soul force, as Gandhi would talk about it, or use the, the power of nonviolence to, to change the, Roman, the Romans' hearts uh, and to open them up to the humanity of, of, of the people that they were colonizing. Jesus was also a student of, the, of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was asked to, was commanded by God or invited by God to be a blessing to all the mishpaka of the world. Uh, the word blessing means to speak well of people, number one, but it also means to offer the best you have in humility for the thriving of other groups. The word mishpaka means tribe, clan, or nation, which would include a religion and a culture and a language and everything else that goes with it, a way of praying. And so the Abrahamic tradition is not an, exclu- an, an, an exclusive in-grouping kind of tradition. It's not a, it is in fact a pluralistic tradition that honors that God calls every tribe, every mishpaka, every group uh, to, um, to a specific calling. And, um, and that we're therefore to, to, we honor the creator when we honor people of other groups. And so when Jesus goes out and has, you know, has, speaks to uh, a Samaritan village, he's, after speaking to a woman at the well, when he has a public debate with a Syrophoenician woman or Canaanite woman, depending on the gospel, when he heals a centurion's servant. What Jesus is showing us is that we got to stop allowing the larger culture, the Roman culture in his day, to set the tone for how we're going to behave, how we're going to be. We're going to repent, not of the fact that we're, of some kind of sense that we're bad as human beings. We're going to repent of conforming ourselves to this Roman culture that wants to turn us against each other and turn us into some kind of status-keeping competition in which there's only one winner, and that's Caesar. So so Jesus goes to the cross, which many Christians, and including white evangelicals, have reduced to some kind of exchange that you know God has to have blood to forgive, which is non-biblical, by the way. Um, instead, what Jesus is doing is he goes to the cross, and which is a tool of state-sponsored terror. And Jesus, uh, in his resurrection, empties the cross of some of that power to coerce people to be against each other, 
to be fearful of each other or even to fight back the Romans uh, against the Romans with with violence. And and so um, and so, you know, Jesus whole life was one of countering Roman nationalism, not with a kind of of, of nationalism uh, on the part of the Israeli people. Right. The, the people of Israel but with a kind of, of, of humanism, with a, a sense of a blessing of all the mishpaka of the world and seeing that there's a difference between the dynamic of the Roman Empire, the system of the Roman Empire, and the people uh, of, uh, who were Romans. And continuing to see them as human and not letting them take away our humanity by taking away our understanding of other people as human. Rhythms of Humanity is produced by Gethsemane Lutheran Church in downtown Seattle. To learn more, visit urbanfaith.org.